Thank you for listening to this message from Waynesboro Free Methodist Church. Our mission is to multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. We hope this message helps you along your journey. All right, church, get your Bibles out. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 is, sorry, actually chapter 1. I know where we're going. Mm. Ephesians chapter 1. I have in my notes too, but it's 1. Ephesians 1. Guys, we have been on a theological journey throughout all the summer, right? It's been kind of crazy. Uh, Back on May 9th, 2021, we started off with this series called Transformed for Mission, right? Transformed for Mission. We looked at Mark 1.17, where we saw Jesus invite his disciples in and say, hey, if you follow me, I will make you become fishers of men. And we took from that that Jesus, as we follow him, transforms us for his mission. And then we, from there, decided, oh, well, why don't we just break that down into two series? So we've been in the last 11 weeks on the series called Transformed, where, where we get to study, we got to study about uh, what happens and how we get there when we're made into the image of Christ. We are Christians being made into the image of Jesus today. And, and as we grow in Christ-likeness, we find ourselves becoming more fruitful and effective in the mission of God. And that's why we're starting off a new series today called Mission. Can you say mission? mission. That's the word, the, the word of the, the, the month. And it's going to be the word of the month for the next three months because we're in it for 11 weeks. Sorry, guys, you just got to bear with this whole series thing. It happens. So today, as, as Dave announced at the beginning, we're launching this initiative for us to go deep into our understanding of what our mission is here as a church and the values that we hold as core But why? Why would we want to take time to do this? So that our mission is more than just a catchphrase. It's a culture. So that our our mission isn't just something that we say every Sunday. It's something that we do every day, right? This This is our desire. And by the way, when I say something that we do every day, it isn't reserved for us. Remember what we talked about last week in Ephesians 4? It's not the leaders of the church to do the mission. It is the ministry of all the members of the body to do the ministry of the, and, and, and do the mission of God in this. So, so before we even take any time to, to look into every word of our mission and every core value that we hold to, we need to ask a vital question first. Because Do we just get to make up whatever we want to be and do as a church? Oh, I think we want to be this as a church. All right, let's go do that. No, where do we have to start? We got to figure out, is this of the Lord, right? Is this something that God wants? The major question that we need to ask is what our mission seeks to accomplish in cooperation with what God is working to accomplish in this world. Isn't that the most important thing when we're talking about the mission of the church? Guys, we're not deists. We are theists, which means we believe that God is actively involved in the world today, that he is purposing purposing things together to accomplish a goal that he's set out on. So the question is, does our mission of multiplying faithful followers of Jesus Christ and the values that we hold so dear, are those things in cooperation? Do they accomplish what God is seeking to accomplish that's a big question, right? Because if, if, if our mission seeks to accomplish something that does not at least, at the minimum, cooperate with God on his mission, if our mission doesn't do that, then why on earth would we want to be here? 
God wouldn't want to be here because we'd be trying to do something different. So why would we want to be here? Why would we want to be wasting our time trying to accomplish something in the world that God himself is not? doesn't make sense. Why would we even expect any kind of blessing over anything that would happen here among us if our mission was counter to God's mission instead of cooperative? <coughs> Guys, we, we need our mission to cooperate with God's mission, which means we got to know what God's mission is, right? What is God's mission? Do you know what is the missio dei? That is the Latins, is how they put it, the mission of God. We have to know that if we're going to be able to assess whether or not even our mission is in alignment with his or if it's conflicting, right? So that's where we're going to start off today. Because my primary aim in the next several minutes is to explain and show you how God's mission and our mission are actually cooperating together. We're gonna, I'm going to show you what God's mission is in the world, and I'm going to show you how our unique mission as a church is in cooperation with what God is seeking to accomplish here on earth. So we're in chapter one of Ephesians. And guys, I don't have a lot of time to explain the context, but basically he's starting off his letter to the church in Ephesus. And goodness, just listen, there's not a single command or imperative in the whole first chapter of Ephesians 1. There's nothing that you have to do. It's telling you everything that's already been done and everything that you've received. It's this long list of all that God has accomplished in Christ and given to us. It's this incredible thing. So we're gonna, we're gonna start off in verse seven, but the main passage that we're gonna be studying is verses 10 or nine and 10. So let's start off in verse seven. It says this, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the fulfillment of times to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. So let's, let's go ahead and, and like, if you'd like to write in your Bibles, I'd, I'd encourage you to go ahead and circle the key buzzwords that, I'm, that we're, we're seeing here. We see the word will, right? That is what God does. What is his will? What he purposes to do? His will. We see good pleasure. It's a, it's a will that he delights in. It's not something that he like passively, all right, I'm gonna let that happen, but it's against what I delight in. No, this is something that he purposefully finds good pleasure in. We also see the words purpose, circle that. We see plan, circle that. Key buzzwords which show us really that we're, uh, if we want to figure out what God's up to in the world today, we're digging in the right spot, right? Now notice, notice how he made known to us the mystery of his will, which means it was once a mystery, it was once shrouded, we couldn't quite understand what God was doing, but it was made known, it was revealed so this isn't a mystery that's been locked away in the ages. So when we ask the question, what is the mission of God? We don't just have to, hmm, I guess we'll never know. We're not agnostics in this. We can know what it is. It's been made known. What is God seeking to accomplish that has been made known through Christ? And it's been God's plan all along. So, so this verse tells us, verse 10 tells us what is the mission of God. And it's this, God's mission is to unite all things together in Christ. 
Can you read that mission with me? One, two, three. To unite all things together in Christ. That's what he says right here, verse 10. To bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in Christ. So the mission of God is to unite all things in heaven and on earth as one harmonious whole. That heaven and earth would exist together, united, not divided. In other words, where God is and where we are would be one, together. So, of course, we're talking about an image of unity here, but that's not all this is limited to. We're also seeing things of, of, of images of, of headship and authority and oversight. <coughs> Sorry, I'm starting to lose my voice. So some Bible translations say some things like to sum up all things in Christ. So you have that in the ASB, in ASB, ASV and in LT. But, but so, so not only does this verse tell us that Jesus is the agent which brings everything together, but he's also the authority over all that is brought together. So he brings things together and he's the head over it all. So God's mission is to unite all things together in Christ under his reign as king, which is what Colossians 1 is totally screaming to us. It says, all things have been created through Christ Jesus and for him He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. Because this is why Jesus was given authority over all of heaven and earth after he was risen from the dead, right? He said that to his disciples and then commissioned them to go. And it's with this authority that Jesus has been and is accomplishing his father's mission to unite all things together in himself. Now, are you convinced so far? Does this this make sense to you? Are you tracking with this? Because the next step would be to ask, is this God's current mission? And did he have one prior to this? In other words, are we, are we thinking, did, did a few years ago, God just decide, oh, I think that's a good mission to have. That's what I'll do, unite all things together in Christ. Did he have like a mid-century crisis? No, no. In fact, Paul says that this mission, if you look, right before he says what it is, as a plan for the right time or a plan for the fulfillment of times, which means the various seasons throughout history. So this is, this is why if you were to go at different parts in Scripture, you'd be able to see that this mission is what God is seeking to accomplish at the different times and places. If you rewind the clocks back, if you rewind the clocks forward, either way you go, you're going to find that God has been accomplishing this mission. And so in order for me to not just let that uh, ring true and then move on from that, what we're going to do right now is we're going to do this really quick sprint through the timeline of history. And I'm going to show you and argue this is exactly what God has been up to since day one. So rewind the clocks back a little bit. Turn your pages all the way back to the beginning in Genesis. You don't have to go there actually, but just in story. Genesis 1, before there was anything, God made the heavens and the earth, right? 
And, and there he created all of creation, generating it all with what? His words. And he puts in creation the pinnacle of his creation, which is what? You and me, humanity. And human history began where? In a garden. And it was in this garden that God made the first man from the dust and God planted this garden in Eden and, and then placed the man there in the garden. And, and, and out of that man, he made a woman and, and instituted through the, the garden, in the garden, the first marriage covenant together. And, and chief of all in all of this, this garden was a place where, oh, I see water. This, this water is great. Thank you. Guys, this garden was a place where heaven and earth met. Have you thought about that? This garden was a place where heaven and earth were overlapping, where God and humanity were dwelling together perfectly with nothing to separate them. They had full access and full enjoyment to God. Scripture even says that that God would walk in the garden in the cool breeze of the day. It's like a, like a neighbor. You walk out in the morning with a bathrobe and boxers on and you're getting a newspaper. Hey God, just walking by. Like, he, like, like this, was, this was the garden. It was heaven overlapped with earth. Existing in the same realm together. And yet you know the story. Something went terribly wrong. Satan, in the form of a snake with really wicked intentions, entered into the garden to deceive mankind into believing that God had gotten it wrong and they'd be better off doing things their own way. And in believing that truth, humanity disobeyed God. And that act of rebellion led to humanity being cast away from the presence of God. So God's realm where, he, where heaven is being perfect and purely holy was no longer able to coexist with a fallen, rebellious world. So the fall of creation really was the splitting and the tearing of heaven from earth. And heaven was devastatingly lost. And the fall, guys, the fall wasn't just simply how we became sinful. It wasn't just simply a story of explaining why everything in the world is so broken. No, it's the story about how heaven lost earth and earth lost heaven. The unity of it. That's devastating. But you see, in all of this, there's this glimmer of hope. You see, in, in, in speaking to the serpent, God had promised that one of Eve's offspring would come one day and he would crush the head of the snake. Someone was coming who was going to destroy the power of sin and Satan's ability to tempt humanity. One would come, but it would be some time. So you can hear the echoes of Christ. The first reunions of heaven and earth started happening again, if you fast forward a little bit, in the temple, right? 
Fast forward and track ahead in the story in scripture to the temples. And, and, and that's where the first reunions happened between heaven and earth again after the fall. You see, you see, remember back when God had freed Israel out of slavery to Egypt through Moses, led them out into the wilderness and he established his covenant with them, but he promised them what? My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. But in what would his presence go with them? He He called it a tabernacle. The tabernacle was a portable temple, right? And the tabernacle could move with the people of Israel wherever they went throughout all of their travels in the wilderness. And and we can see how beautiful this space on earth was in Exodus 33. It says this, now Moses took a tent and pitched it outside the camp at a distance away from the camp, he called it the tent of meeting. Anyone who, wanted to cons- anyone who wanted to consult with the Lord would go over to the tent of meeting that was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would stand up, each one at the door of his tent, and they would watch Moses until he entered the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of God would come down and remain at the entrance of the tent and the Lord would speak with Moses. That's amazing. That's incredible. Verse seven literally says, anyone who wanted to come could come and be in the presence of the Lord. In other words, they could come into that space where heaven and earth were together again. This is what the tabernacle and and later on the temple would be. You see, the tabernacle, when they finally got into the promised land, into the city of Jerusalem, David set his heart to, but King Solomon was the one who what? Ultimately built up a permanent structure to house the presence of the Lord here on earth in a safe way for humanity. And that was called the temple. And we look at what happens when, when that temple was finished and they had finished putting the last brick and they prayed, Solomon prayed, and this is what happens. Fire descended from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Amen? Guys, these temples, these temples were even decorated with some things. God had in mind the beauty of interior decorating. And one of the things he had them decorate this temple with was trees and flowers. Sound familiar? The garden. Not only that, but gold and jewels were in there and images of angels and heavenly beings called cherubim. Guys, the tabernacle and the temple were meant to be heaven and earth together again. And yet there was still one massive problem with all of this though, right? Right? There, was, there was a lot of blood that had to be shed of the, the innocent, unblemished animals, right? In order for us to be able to enter into that space safely, we needed to be clean. See, our sin keeps us from the presence of God. So in order for us to safely be with God again, our sin needs to be atoned for. Our guilt needs to be washed away. And that's some of the other terms and arrangements in the old covenant that God gave to Moses. A way for sins to be atoned for through the sacrifice of 
unblemished animals. And even still though, if you, if you know your Old Testament history, you know that, what, they couldn't go all the way in, could they? No, there were certain sections that they could go into based on certain sacrifices, but there was a space specially reserved for the full presence of God and nobody could enter except for the high priest once a year. And if he messed something up in the process, that bell would stop ringing that was around him and you know he died because he had been consumed by the holiness of God. So you've, you've, got this, you've got this image that God's still distant. There's still a curtain that separated us from the full presence of heaven here on earth, God's presence dwelling among us. It kept people out. So we can still see in these temples that heaven and earth were close. They were so close, but they were still not fully united again. God was still working on his mission to bring all things together, not through animal sacrifice, but through his son. So fast forward in the timeline of history, and we find ourselves in leather sandals walking the streets of Jerusalem with this revolutionary man named Jesus of Nazareth. And here's what he's saying. He's preaching, the time has come. The kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. (laughs) The gospel of John tells us at the beginning that Jesus is God coming and tabernacling among us setting up tent, coming to dwell among us. So in a sense, Jesus is a temple. Jesus is a temple, a place where heaven and earth were overlapping yet again. Not only that, but we also hear Jesus's weird cousin, John the Baptist, shouting out, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that's why after three years of really effective and incredible ministry, we don't see Jesus walking. We see him crucified to a cross. Outside the city of Jerusalem, nailed to a criminal's cross, dying a criminal's death, even though he had been found innocent or unblemished. You can see his blood trickling down from his brow where the crown of thorns sits buried deep. You can see the blood trickling from his beaten body, from his back that had been shredded from the flogging. You can see his hands and his feet pierced by the nails that held him to the tree. And in Jesus' last breath, he cried out, It is finished. And he died. And in that very moment, the world started to shake. Rocks split open and somehow that curtain that was in the temple in Jerusalem was torn not from bottom to top, but from top to bottom. In Christ, God reached down and ripped the barrier that kept heaven from earth because the ultimate, final, and perfect sacrifice had been made to take away our sin once and for all. As the book of Hebrews says it best in Hebrews 10, every priest 
We're talking about the Old Testament covenant of, of tons of animal sacrifices. Every piece stands day after day, ministering and offering the same sacrifices, time after time, which can never take away sins. But this man, Jesus Christ, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Amen? Jesus really did complete it. Heaven and earth can be united together again. And now, and now it would be in Christ. And what we see next in the story of Scripture, I think is just clear evidence that this is true. That Jesus was God establishing the beachhead in his mission for the kingdom of heaven to invade earth And guys, his purpose is global domination. So here's here's what we see after all of this happening. After Jesus rose from the dead and he ascended into heaven, the disciples were gathered together in Jerusalem, which is what Jesus had told them to do, right? And and, and they're waiting and and, and waiting. And one day on a Jewish festival called Pentecost, which is just a, a Jewish holiday celebrating the harvest. Guys, they're, they're, they, were, they were together in a house in an upper room and, and the sound of a violent rushing wind came from heaven and it filled the whole house. And scripture says that they saw these little tongue, these flames of fire that looked like tongues that separated and sat and rested on every disciple of Jesus. And it says that they were filled with the spirit of God and began to speak in different languages as the Spirit enabled them. How does that not sound like God invading the temple that Solomon built? The fire crashing down and the presence of God filling the temple. The fire crashing down and the presence of God invading and filling his church. You see, Jesus had made the sacrifice so God's presence could dwell with us again. Which this means when fire falls on us, our lives are now consumed as living sacrifices and offering to the Lord. And our lives are filled with the presence of God. Remember that presence that had been reserved for the the most holy place that nobody else could enter into? That presence was now in every person who believed upon Jesus, filled with the Spirit. As this is what Jesus promised would happen in John 14. He said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him and he and we will come to him and make our home with him. Guys, the spirit of God is his down payment for this promise. And in response to, to everything that happened in that single room, There were thousands of people gathered right outside in that city and they went out and they were starting to preach the gospel and Peter stepped up and and preached a message, right? And thousands, literally thousands of people were saved, giving their life to Jesus and they were baptized. Heaven is invading earth. Continuing on in the story of scripture, we see more and more believers filled with God's presence, people from different languages and ethnicities and socioeconomic statuses and backgrounds. Anyone and everyone could come and experience heaven on earth. 
God's full presence filling them in Christ. And as this happened, we see healing of sickness and and disease and paralysis. We see demonic possession and oppression being obliterated. We see heaven is coming to earth in Christ. Fast forward and that puts us at 600 Hopeman Parkway, Waynesboro, Virginia, at a little place called Waynesboro FM Church, where the people of God still filled by the Spirit of God are places where heaven and earth have collided. And yet you and I can still see incredibly great brokenness in the world, can we not? Where injustice seems to plague different things and and brokenness seems to abound. Where sickness and disease still plague humanity. So did God's mission not get accomplished? No, no. His, His mission is to unite all things together and it's been accomplished in Christ and it's being brought to fruition in Christ. And one day, one day, there will be a day when it's brought fully to completion in Jesus. One day Jesus will return and the mission of God will be completed. As you know, the book of Revelation, right? We see earth is newly remade where sin and death and the curse over the fall of creation are finally done away with forever and the enemy of God is destroyed. Every one of them. Not only that, but there's this massive city that's too big to actually reckon in our minds, but there's measurements in scripture and it's decorated with jewels and gold and pearls and it's filled with angels and it even has rivers and fruit-bearing trees. Sound familiar again? And that comes down out of heaven into earth. Here's what's so great about this city. Scripture says, There's no temple in it. There's no more curtain, no more sacrifice. Why? Because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. It will be to God that we go to get God. Not through any kind of sacrifice of an animal, not to a place, a building. We go to God to get God. This is what Revelation 21 says. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his peoples and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither will be any more grief, crying, pain anymore because the previous things have passed away, the new has finally and fully come forever. Guys, this is how the story ends in all of this. All things in heaven and all things in earth that are in Christ, united together again under the kingship of Jesus Christ for the rest of eternity. In other words, God's mission to unite all things together in Christ, the book says, oh, yep, it's going to happen. He's going to accomplish his end. Whew. 
So we started way over left, right, Genesis. And we've walked all the way through to Revelation. And we've seen time and time again that God really is working to unite heaven and earth again. That which we lost in Genesis will be found in Revelation and we get to experience it right now as we follow Jesus. So I need, I need us to agree and see, yeah, this is really, wow, this is exactly what God has been doing and I've misunderstood. We need to, we need to get there because now we need to move into that space where we're asking ourselves the question, that, that, that lands it here at our local context of a local body of followers of Jesus. How on earth does our mission help to accomplish that? How? How is our mission to multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ seeking to cooperate with what's so clearly God's mission in the world today? What, what is it? How are they working? Well, guys, again, I don't have much time I'm going to give you a really short answer today, and you're going to see how it plays out in the next several weeks, okay? Guys, our mission is to multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. So that really hinges upon that which we're multiplying, faithful followers of Jesus. What do we mean by that? What, what does that mean? And, and we can have all sorts of definitions for that. So I'm not going to say that this is the definition, but this is a facet. This is a part of what it means to be a faithful follower of Jesus, a faithful follower of Jesus is an individual filled with the presence of God on earth. Right? We saw that in the Acts. We, 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 we saw that today. Every, every true follower of Jesus has been filled with the presence of God. And guys, is not where God is heaven? Heaven isn't just this ethereal place in the supernatural filled with rainbows and unicorns and cupids riding on clouds that one day you get to go to. No, heaven is where God is. And guess where he is right now? In you. In other words, in Christ, we are where heaven has invaded earth. You are part of the invasion. So guys, when, when people really want to experience Jesus, where do they have to go? Yes, we agree here. This is, this is the most accurate place that people can go to find Jesus. But do they have to go to, to, go to a, a temple over in Jerusalem to figure out who Jesus is? No. Do they have to come to this building that we, we put together a few years ago? No, where do they go? To you. They go to you. That's where they can experience the person of Jesus. You saturated with this. As they ought to be able to come to each of us and encounter heaven on earth and how we love and how we serve and give and encourage and rebuke and sacrifice and care and we advance and so on and so on. Guys, that's the ministry that we've been given, right? That's the ministry that we've given. Look at 2 Corinthians 5. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of What? reconciliation. That's taking two things that were at odds and bringing them together. Talk about unity. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the what? Message of reconciliation. 
as the ministry of reconciling things on, heaven, or things on earth with things in heaven happens through the message of reconciliation, which is the gospel of Jesus. And that's why Paul gives us this responsibility in verse 20, continuing on. Therefore, because of all of this, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his special appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So an ambassador is somebody who represents their kingdom of which they are citizens of. And so not only are we a space on earth where heaven has invaded and Christ is king, but we are also representatives of that. We are representatives of heaven here on earth tasked with this ministry of reconciliation. So as we share the gospel, as we reach out to our neighborhoods and our communities and to people, and we give them the message of reconciliation, we are expanding the reach of the invasion. In multiplying faithful followers of Jesus Christ, we are a part of the invasion. Heaven invading earth once again. So can you, can you see that the next 10 weeks that we'll be in this series studying through our mission won't be wasted time? Can you see how the next 10 weeks are gonna be so incredibly helpful for us to learn how we can cooperate with God on what he's seeking to accomplish here on earth? Guys, God's mission is to unite all things together in Christ. Our mission is to multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. It's the invasion, earthly vessels filled with heaven. So here's what I want to challenge you with. And I know we're a little over time. Guys, each and every one of you has your own mission. And there's a difference between what you desire the, the, the mission of your life to be and what actually happens, right? And if we were to take a look at how you spend your money, how you spend your time, how you spend your resources, uh, what you talk about, what you celebrate, we could, we could get a pretty good picture of what your mission is for your life. Maybe it's to work hard and make bank and live large by keeping up with the Joneses. Maybe it's to indulge every earthly passion that you ever feel only to the detriment of your soul. Maybe it's to get famous by being a social media influencer. Maybe it's to live a life of ease, enjoying the, the stockpiles of riches that you've built up in the last 40 years of hard work. No matter what, all of those kinds of missions keep you benched. They keep you benched on the sidelines in the field of God's mission. And you've benched yourself to build your own kingdom that won't even last. Can I ask you, what if you accepted this mission as your own personal mission? Even if you feel under-equipped, even if you feel inadequate, even if you feel undeserving, those seem to be the people that Jesus seems to do the most through anyways. Will you give your life to this mission? No matter where it might lead you. So guys, maybe, maybe today needs to be the day where you go to our head coach 
which is not me, by the way. You go to our head coach and you say, coach, I've, I've benched myself. I, I took myself out of the game. I've been seeking to do my own thing and, and I'm sorry and I, I repent. I want in, I want into what you're doing. I wanna play my part. Maybe that's need, that needs to be what you do today. You need to be convinced that this is the mission of your life, not just the people who call this building church. Guys, the world needs you. Your neighbors need you. Why? Because not everything on earth will be found in Christ on that day when Christ comes to unite all things together finally. There will be people who have been skeptical and distant from Jesus, never willing to embrace him or his truth. There will be people who have never even gotten a chance to hear about Jesus. And they won't be found in him when that day comes. They won't be able to enjoy heaven and earth united. You're the ambassador. You're the one to multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. Waynesboro, Augusta County, and the world depends on you. Golly, can, can, you, can you imagine what kind of eternal fruitfulness would just start springing up out of the ground here if every one of you decided, no, that's what I want to do with my life. I want to multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. If you became convinced that this is how you want to live your life, what could God do through our church? Possibilities are endless. So I'm begging you, take seriously the next 10 weeks, be paying attention, participate as much as you can. And guys, I am eager as we press into this. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have not given up, that when we rebelled against you in Genesis 3, you did not just cre- like destroy everything and start over. Uh, you didn't just leave us to suffer on our own. No, you mercifully and graciously decided that you were gonna promise that you would send a savior who would crush the head of the snake and bring heaven back to earth. God, I thank you for Jesus. We thank you that his sacrifice was enough to atone for our sin. And I pray, Lord, right now that you would would reckon in our hearts what needs to be true about why we exist, not just as a local church, but as an individual following Jesus. God, I pray that every one of us would really receive this as our mission for our life. Because truly, didn't you command us, Lord, to go and make disciples of all nations and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that you've commanded us. And you promised that you would be with us to the end of the age. So God, would you allow us to step into our unique mission as a church, together, united. We love you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope this message helps you multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. 
For more information about our church, please visit waynesboroughfm.com.